welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. It is good to be back. This is an annual event for me. I was trying to count. I think maybe this is my sixth year or something here uh, where Pastor Paul goes away and uh, he invites me to come and share with you. And so I'm grateful to be here, actually. Um, This isn't something I do a lot of anymore. A lot of my uh, speaking is clinical stuff. Um, And so when I get the opportunity, I'm very grateful to be here with you because this is a very friendly place. You have great worship you got awesome pastors. They all wear jeans. What more could you want? Come on. They're great, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, today, um, Pastor Ball gave me the assignment to talk about friendship being a part and necessary of a healthy life. I thought, okay, I'm a relational guy. I'm a therapist. I can do that. And then he said, and I want you to include, because we're going through this Batterson study on double blessing, that Friendships double your pleasure, double your fun. (laughs) And I thought, okay, I can do that too. So today my hope is to persuade you that friendship is the lifeblood of relationships, that it is part of healthy living, and that it's part of living out the gospel. That is what we have been asked and called to do. But first I want you to do something. If you are a fill-in-the-note person, you've already got your pens ready or pencils, but if you don't, take them out. And I'd like you just to write down, this is for your eyes only, nobody else is going to call you out or anything like that, just write down one hope that you have and one concern. That's it. Just a single word, just to remind you, whatever. Just write down a hope and a concern. And then what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to think about the highest moment in your life, the happiest moment. And if you're a parent, Ixnay on the childbirthing A thing, because that's where everybody goes. So apart from your birthing experience of your child, the happiest, highest point in your life, and if you're a single, uh, whatever it is, okay? And I would write down that word, because if you're anything like me, 10 seconds from now, you're going to be like, what did I think was the most awesome part of my life? No, you'll you'll forget. So I'll write it down, and then we'll come back to both of those things a little bit later. So when Pastor Paul asked me to do this a couple of months ago, I started to think about friendships, and I started to think about the friendships in the Bible, right? David and Jonathan, Ruth and Naomi, and all these friendships, and it made me think more than just biblically, it made me think of culturally. What were friendships like back then, and what are they like now? And I started thinking about my time traveling abroad. I have spent time in a lot of different continents. And in South America particularly, the men there know how to be friends. You ain't never seen a bromance like you've seen in a South American country. Unless, of course, you go to India, where it's just, there are no barriers to being intimately uh, close with another guy. Women, um, I'm not really sure, um, because I don't usually pay attention to that, but um, in America, it's not something we do really well. We're not taught how to be friends with another guy. 
Women tend to take to it a little bit more naturally, although I know women can get catty and you know, and all that stuff, but they talk a lot more, they tend to be more open, and they tend to have more friends than guys do. Back in, and I did something that caught this wire up. Oh, I see what it is. Um, wired, oh, there we go. <laughs> He's got my back. That's it. Thank you, Daniel. Um, in 1985, the average American cross-genders had three friends as defined as somebody they could confide in. By 2004, the average American had two friends, and one in four individuals had no friends. That was 19 years ago. I can only assume it's gotten worse. We don't have friendships for a lot of reasons in this country. And the gospel is telling us we need them. Our psychology is telling us we have been designed for connection and community. We need them. So why don't we have them? Well, let's look at busyness. A couple of reasons we don't have friends, right? If you're typical, maybe you're married, maybe you're single, whatever. Um, but if you're married, what do you do? You get up, you take a shower, you have your coffee, you see the kids off to the bus stop, you hit the commute, you go to work, you work, you come home, and then you have some dinner, and you maybe give a kid or two a bath, you stuck them into bed, then you watch an hour of TV, and then it's to bed again, and re rinse and repeat, right? That's what you do. And you're going to tell me, where in the world do I have time to have a friend? Good point. Your little uh, bulletin insert there on the back of the pyramid has some practical suggestions for how you can do that. So you can read them now and ignore what I'm saying, or you can go to it later or do both. <laughs> but busyness is probably one of the leading reasons most people today would say that they don't have time because good friendships do take time. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. And we just don't have the resource inside of us to give. Another reason might be because of digital communication and the digitalized social media of the world. In her book, Alone Together, Sherry Turkle talks about um, social media actually dividing us from the face-to-face -face communication that we've been designed to have. And I'd like to suggest that I have 2,000 friends plus on Facebook. And sometimes Liz says, who is this person? And I'm like, I don't know. I just like, want to be my friend. Yeah, friend. I don't go on Facebook anymore. But I know through talking with people that you can become highly affected by who friends you on Facebook, who unfriends you on Facebook, who likes what you said on Facebook, who didn't like what you said on Facebook. I mean, I know I'm, 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 I'm 63, right? I'm, I'm part of that older generation now. I didn't wear jeans, although I got them out to wear, and they were ripped on the bottom. If I had known that half the jeans up here were going to be ripped, and I would be in high fashion, I would have worn them, but I didn't. <sighs> I know I'm a little older, but let me just say this about social media and communication. How many of you, your first impulse to communicate with somebody today is by telephone. Raise your hand. Look around. Not many. How many of you, it's email? How many of you will text somebody and say, got time for a call? 
Like, so texting has become the communication du jour. Why? Well, because I can edit it. I can really think about what I want to say. I, I can just be super, like, articulate, you know, like when I text. And I can use emojis and I can do all this other kind of stuff. Okay. But what's beginning to happen is the face-to-face kind of stuff is becoming less and less. Uh, how did you break up? Oh, I broke up over text. You did what? Yeah, I told her, like, you know, it was over. And Digital social service is actually separating us and giving us less reason to do the face-to-face things. Another reason we might be having difficulty making friends is mobility. We're becoming, over the 50 years, much more mobile than we ever were before. How many of you have uh, moved twice or more in your life? Raise your hand, nice and high. Keep them up. How many of you have moved over five times? Keep them up if you've... Moved over 10 times. Nice and high. I got to see you. Over 15 times. I know you're counting furiously now. 20 times. Ooh, I just, anybody for 20? Yes. Oh, you're my friend. All right, 25. Ooh, 30. Nobody's with me in the 30 club. I had moved about 35, 40 times by the time I was 40. And I'm not a military brat. If you want to know, ask me after. But I, um... Moved a lot, and so does a lot of society, and it makes it difficult to have roots and to be friends. Good news is, last 20 years in Baltimore, I've moved twice. So stability has reached this man, and so that's good. <laughs> um, but those are some of the reasons why we don't make friends. One of the final reasons that I, I recognize very strongly is just plain awkwardness. I was one of those guys growing up that was kind of on the outside looking in, and not quite able to get the language of friendship, like what that really meant. And like, I was always kind of like, you know, what is this thing? And through grade school and high school, everybody kind of understands that. But once you become an adult, and you still don't get it, then you got some problems, because it tends to cause you to feel out of the loop and isolated. And for yous, for yous, for yous guys in the audience here today, for you people that might be feeling a little bit awkward, My heart is with you, and my hope is that just like Bobby was saying earlier, God is able to do what we can't. He's able to bring the walls down, and as you come up against that wall, that relational wall, I'm going to believe with you today that from today moving forward, that wall's going to come down, and you're going to be able to successfully be and make a friend or two. Let's read our text together. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 15. He says, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his? You are my friends if you do what I command, says Jesus. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't, doesn't know what his master's business is. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Let's read it together. Love each other. Right? Okay. So I'm not going to do an exegetical thing on the word today, uh, but I want to give context for the importance of friendship here. In this particular uh, talking with Jesus to his disciples, what he's saying is, he's saying, look, you are my friends. He's setting the example that no greater love has anyone than 
that he would lay down his life for his friends. And by the way, I'm going to do that for you. And at the same time, he's saying, I'm your Lord and I'm your king. I'm your, I'm your sovereign. And somehow we can think of them as being either or. How many of you see Jesus, God, God, as high and lifted up, as a sovereign, as a king with his robe filling the temples and he's kind of up there and out there? How many of you see God like that? How many of you see him as your friend? Somebody that you can hang out with during the day, you can argue with, you can be angry at, you can scream at, you can cry with, you can, he'll take your hand and he'll walk with you and he'll talk with you if you're old enough and he'll call you, right? How many of you can do both? He's your king and he's your friend. That's what he's talking about here. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Because if you're part of the courts of the king and you're his servant, you're not going to know what he's thinking. But if he makes you his friend by telling you everything that his father has been sharing with him, then you're his friend, but you're still part of the courts. He's still your liege. He's still your king. And you're still subject to do what he commands you to do. So it's a both and here that the Bible is talking about. The big idea is that friendship is the lifeblood of relationship. Jesus is saying, man, there's no greater love that when you exercise friendship in the extreme. And I don't know if any of you have had the privilege of laying down your life for your friend. But maybe you have and you're still here. I don't know. But one thing to think about is, would you be willing to lay down your life for a friend? That is a good question. Let's look at the Bible and go to uh, the first point. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you have God creating everything in chapter 1, right? He says, let there be light, and there was light. And he said, it's good. Then he said, let's create the land and the seas, and it is good. And then he creates the vegetation, and that was. And then he says, let's make some seasonal changes here, except for those people that are in Albuquerque. And it was good. Then he does the living creatures in the sea and the air, and it was, and then he does the animals on the land, and that was. So far, everything is good. And then he creates man in chapter 2, and Adam is, is created, and he's hanging out with God in the garden in this perfection, and it's amazing. But then the Lord says, it is not good for man to be alone. Listen, the first problem solved in the Bible was not sin. It was solitude. And I think that this bears a little bit of explanation. Solitude in and of itself is not a bad thing. How many of you are introverts? You get all your energy from being alone, doing stuff by yourself. You think nothing better than to video or to be in front of your computer, to take a good book and just be by yourself. How many of you, you get your energy from hanging out with friends? And crowds and stuff, okay? Some of you might be like me. I'm an extroverted introvert. Go figure. I know I'm complicated. But solitude can be good, but pushed to the extreme when prisoners in the penal system are put in the hole or in solitary confinement. It actually brings on psychosis. It's not a good thing to be separated from all human contact over a period of time. It is definitely not a good thing. We know that solitude 
can be good and it cannot be good. On the other side of the spectrum, though, let's, let's move from solitude to loneliness. How many of you have ever been lonely? And that's a painful experience. You can be in the, in, in, in the company of this many people and still feel outside of things and terribly alone and like invisible. Nobody sees you. Nobody knows you. And that's a painful place to be. I believe that it's not good for man to be alone, says the Lord. I will make him a helper, a companion, a lover, a friend, suitable for him. Those are my words. It was the, the good, it was the first not good in creation story. And this was before Satan had come into the deal. There was no sin. It was perfect. Adam was having great times with God, and still there was this problem. This is what Tim Keller says about this. Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. The ache for friends is the one ache that is not the result of sin. This is one ache that is part of his perfection. God made us in such a way that we cannot enjoy paradise without friends. God made us in such a way that we cannot enjoy our joy without human friends. Adam had a perfect quiet time every day, 24 hours, but he never had a dry and he never had a dry one, and yet he needed friends. It's because we're created in our DNA and by design for community. If we separate ourselves and isolate ourselves from community over in a period of time, it's not a healthy way to go. If you're married, is your spouse your best friend? a close friend, as well as a lover. If it's not where you would like it to be, that marriage seminar is a great place to start, but it's also good to listen to the rest of this message and see if there aren't some practical steps you could make in your marriage. When we were first married, we got into ministry, started a 501c3 in an inner city ministry in Providence. And Liz looked at me one day and she said, you don't really love me anymore, do you? Took a big breath. I decided i got to be honest with this one. And I said, no, you're right, I don't. I didn't dislike her. I just had fallen out of love with her. And the honesty created the opportunity for us to decide what we were going to do with that. And we've been married now almost 40 years. And let me just tell you, I am deeply in love with her today. So you can move from being out of love to being in love, but you need to be honest about it. So if your marriage isn't where you want to be, have hope. I think it's reasonable to say that friendship can bring us joy and make us happy. When Paul gave me this assignment, I knew that you were doing Batterson's double blessing thing, so I wanted to come up with my own contribution to that, and here it is in the, in the voice of C.S. Lewis. He's my man. He's just the man. Friendship is the greatest of worldly goods. Certainly to me, it is the chief happiness of life. This is C.S. Lewis speaking. And he suggested that friendship causes, quote, Perhaps half of all the happiness in the world. Right? That might be hyperbole, but at least it points us to the idea that there is friendship is an important thing, right? And how many of you remember Double Your Pleasure, Double Your Fun, Spearmint Gum commercials, right? Wrigley's Spearmint. How many of you remember the commercials? I was YouTubing them. I was going to play one today, but I just didn't want to take the time. Although, obviously, it might have rung the bell with some people, but only a small portion of us. So I decided not to do that. Certainly we can say that when we experience joy, we want to share it, right? What's the kid version of 
not being able to contain joy, but wanting to share it so that it doubles the joy. Look, Mom, look, Dad, look what I did, right? Have you ever gone to the beach with your kid? Look, Mom, look, Dad. Hey, Mom, hey, Dad. I just want to have a little sign. Great job. Wonderful. <laughs> little hand waver. Yay. You know, because they're like at it 24-7. It's because they want you to enter into their joy. They want to share the experience with you, right? What's the adult version of that? Look back at your notes and look at that highest moment, the happiest moment, one of the happiest moments in your life. Did you share that with somebody? When you experienced it, you might have experienced it alone. My happy, one of my happiest moments was being on the Continental Divide in Colorado at night and looking at the sky and being able to see space junk floating around. It was crystal clear. I could see the Milky Way. It was amazing. And you can bet I didn't keep it to myself. I wanted to share that experience with people. We experience double joy when we bring people into our experience, when we share those kinds of things with people. Okay. Solitude can look a lot like loneliness, and for the awkward and the outsider, the one who feels like they are not enough, it is painful. And my heart is with you because I was one of those people. And I'd like to suggest to you a remedy for that today. And it goes like this. I, I don't want to put down any of the spiritual disciplines, and I don't want to overload Pastor Bobby or Pastor Daniel or certainly Pastor Paul's email boxes this week. But I would like to suggest there is a spiritual discipline that I feel ranks right near the top, maybe the top over praying, going to church, fasting, right? All those things. What is it? It's spiritual friendship. As a spiritual discipline, I feel it's right up there at the top because how does God communicate to me? Yes, through fasting. Yes, through services. Yes, he certainly communicated to me through Pastor Bobby today and the worship team. But that's through people, he speaks to me through individuals. And when I cultivate this spiritual discipline of spiritual friendships, I'm putting people around me that God is going to use, like my wife. Often, she's the Holy Spirit in my life. And she tells me what to do and how to do it and when to do it. And I obey, you know, I say, yes, dear. And we have a terribly happy marriage this morning. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right, so God does speak through people in our lives. Proverbs 18.24, I'm a King James guy and originally that went to New International Version and then went to the New Living Translation. And so memory for me is already difficult, but this is pure King James. It says in Proverbs 18.24, a man who hath friends must show himself... Right, the way I broke that down was if you want a friend, be a friend. Right. It's a simple, practical thing. And that's the beginning of this little part for you that are stuck and lonely. If you want a friend, be a friend, but I don't know how. Well, let's look at friendship. Let's see what makes it up. When you look at that little uh, triangle thing about the elements of a true friendship, most of us get truth, right? If you walk in the light, is he in the light? We have what? Fellowship, one with another. We have friends, and, and Christ has the opportunity to cleanse us up. When we're walking in half-truth or when we're presenting the me that I want you to see and there's this part of me back here 
that I don't want you to know and I'm living a double life, that first of all takes a lot of energy. Second of all, it's not maintainable over time unless you're a psychopath and you're able to compartmentalize. You have no empathy for people at all. Most of us are not that, and so we begin to degenerate. We begin to break down, and our ability to compartmentalize fails us at some point. And so the me that I really want you to see is not compatible with the me that I really am, and so you're only getting part of me. I can only be fractionally present with you. If I'm walking in the truth, and there are no secrets, then you're getting all of me. You're getting the authentic me. We get that. And if you get that, you also know that, that in a relationship like in a marriage relationship or a dating relationship, you want to feel safe. And you can feel safe with somebody if you know that they're on the level with you. What you see is what you get. And that builds trust. And so for most of us, we get the truth, safety, trust thing, right? As understandably, those are some of the ingredients in a close friendship. A close friendship defined as somebody that you can confide your darkest secrets with, right? You want to feel like you can trust them. You want to feel like they're safe. The part that American males don't get quite often is vulnerability. Because we're trained as men in the United States to think of vulnerability as weakness. We don't want to show ourselves as wimps. We want to be men. <gasps> And that means we can't be vulnerable. We can't share our feelings. We can't do those things that open us up. I was watching Daniel worship today. And the dude can present himself pretty professionally, right? There was nothing professional about him today. He just was all out on the stage. From my point of view, I felt like I could see into him that he was totally open. When you see somebody up on the stage share their story and they're vulnerable, do you think they're weak? No. What do you think about them? Right. You got respect for them. Like, whoa, I'd never do that. Like, how could they even share that kind of stuff? Or, wow, that guy is just pouring out his heart here. He's really real with me. He is being vulnerable. If you're vulnerable, it means you're open. How do we get from being closed, which most of us American males tend to walk around and be, because that's what we're trained to do, to being open and vulnerable so that we can have close, intimate friendships? It's called being vulnerable. We need to be able to step out and take a risk, have some courage, and lay it out there, saying what it is we want and what it is we need, being open about our feelings, especially with our spouse. All right. A little survey here. Guys, how long does it take you when you come home or when you're spending time with your wife and she begins to talk for you to glaze over with that faraway look in your eye? Two minutes, five minutes. Some of the champions among us go 10 and 15 minutes. But generally speaking, most guys don't have a tolerance for a lot of talking at. My wife often says, why use 20 words when 2,000 will do, you know? It's like... She just loves to talk. <laughs> what I'm talking about is maybe taking 200 words with your spouse and connecting with her and allowing her to see into you and know how you feel. You're saying, you're crazy. You do not know my wife. Now, I don't want to get into a bunch of couples counseling stuff. You've got a seminar coming up for that. But I do want to say for those guys here, if you can touch her here, 
she will reciprocate in some way that will make you very happy. And if she makes you very happy, you might tend to respond emotionally. It's a nice little symbiotic thing that happens. If this wasn't a mixed crowd, we'd get a little bit more graphic. But you understand what I'm saying. She will respond by the happy face, and you will respond by connecting. And it's one of those things that just makes the world go round, and I try not to go down too many rabbit holes here. Okay, so God speaks through people in our life. What does this relationship look like? It looks like vulnerability is one of the main things we need, and that, together with truth, safety, and trust, creates an atmosphere of intimacy where we have the permission. No kidding, really? Already? Oh, my gosh. Thank you. I saw that hand. <laughs> he wants to get saved back there in the sound booth. No, I asked him to say that. Um, wow. Just re- reorienting my, my points and stuff because I know that i got to land the plane real soon here. Bottom line is this. Really good friends will be intimate friends. They'll be people that bring life. They won't suck the air out of the room. When you see them coming, you're not going to be like this. You're going to be like, oh, I'm so glad to see you. Because when they leave you, you feel energized. You feel awesome. If they're a spiritual friend, they're going to be intimate with you. They're going to bring life. And they're also going to encourage you to know where God is moving. They're going to speak to you about what's God doing here in your life. What are you thinking these days? Can you see his fingerprints? And they're not going to stop there. They're not only going to do all those things, but they're also going to encourage you to get in line with what God's doing. How many of you know what God is doing, but don't always participate with what what God is doing, right? Spiritual friends will do that for you so that at the end of the day, they've encouraged you. If you want a friend, be a friend. On that list are ways to get you started. Good friends will shape your character. They'll help you figure out life. They'll, Bob is sitting right behind me. And when I saw his face, I was like, yeah. And then there's Chris behind him. And I was like, yeah, I know that these brothers have got my back up here. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. And then I figured out that the guitarist is really Amanda's, like, you know, special relation. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is awesome. They're all together. I feel like people have got my back here. When you have, when you have friends, they will shape your life. What kind of friends do you want? Do you want good friends? Do you want godly friends? Do you want rebellious friends? I will tell you about your character by looking at your friends. The Bible says, be careful about the people that you put around you because they're going to shape and mold your character. They will strengthen your resolve. When uh, I was starting to move out of ministry and into private practice, my brother-in-law really encouraged me and helped me take that leap of faith and helped me to resolve that I could really do this. And it was awesome. All right, we're going to land the plane here. A friend is someone you would be willing to go to the cross for. And as the worship team comes, we're going to do it this way. Christ gave his disciples an example that was written about in medieval times by an abbot called Alred of Renavu. Renu? Renu. Something like that. And he said that a friend would be willing to go to the cross for you. Are you willing to go to the cross for your friends? Do you think your friends are willing to go to the cross for you? Jesus set the example of saying, there's no greater love than a man who will set down his life for somebody. So, 
words to think about. If you're a person that's in solitude and it's healthy and it's good, that's where you get your energy from and you're not not being together with people, awesome. But if you're in seclusion, if you're isolating, if you're feeling alone, that's not a healthy place to be. And you need to just break out of that. You need to listen to what Bobby was saying about the walls of Jericho and and envisioning your relationship block as that wall of Jericho. And you just need to take action. When God, when God commands us to love one another, can he really command you to feel? No, he really can't. Think about it this way. He's commanding us to take an action. There's a woman. Her name was Corey Ten Boom. And she spent time hiding Jews and in a concentration camp. After she got out and all of her family was dead, she would talk all around the world about her experience. She was speaking one day about forgiveness to a group of people that had been a part of the Nazi occupation. And after the talk, a man came forward and she recognized him as one of the guards that had humiliated her and beaten people to death and was just horrible. And he came forward and he raised his hand and he said, Fraulein, thank you so much. Uh, Since I left the concentration camp, I became a Christian. And I know God has forgiven me, but I know you were in Ravensbrück. And I know you saw the horrific things there. Would you be willing to forgive me? And Corey, she didn't have the feeling. She hated this guy. She had been paraded uh, by him naked. She had seen him beat people. She did not like this guy. And he raised his hand and he said, Fraulein, will you forgive me? And she stood there. She didn't have love for this guy. Never mind the grace to forgive him. And so she prayed. She said, God, I can't do this. I don't have it. Please help me. And with that, she decided she didn't really have a choice, right? This guy had come to her and asked her. And so in obedience, she, she raised out her hand and he took it. And she said, in that moment, the warmth went through my arm and then throughout my body as the grace of God filled me and I was able to forgive him. Sometimes when God commands us to love our enemies, to lay down our life for our friends, it's not a feeling, it's an act. He's asking us to act lovingly. So if you're not having friendships because you don't feel about having friendships, maybe just take the actions Listen on the back of that bulletin insert or from something I've said today or from an encouragement from one of your pastors or or friends. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come too and stand at the front of the church. And these folks have been praying for this opportunity. There's no embarrassment in coming and asking for prayer. They will pray with you. They'll pray for your breakthrough. They'll, They'll just take what you have said to them in confidence and they'll pray with you. It's not a have to, it's a want to. We're going to end this service as Bobby comes to close us out. And I'm going to say thank you for having me. Thank you for allowing me to share the importance of friendship, which is the lifeblood of relationship. God has said, go and love each other. And that's what I would say for you today to do, is to go and love each other with the love of God in your hearts. Thank you for having me.